I'm Zach Weiss, and you're listening to Across the Cavs on the Basketball Podcast Network. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs on this Wednesday, September the 28th, just after 10 p.m. Eastern Time. All is relatively quiet on the Cavs front. Cavs Twitter still buzzing over the news of Donovan Mitchell. So what better guest to bring on today? It's unfortunate for his sake. His team did not get Donovan Mitchell, but they got plenty this offseason. Peter Kennedy, the host of the Subway Sports Talk podcast. It is a pleasure to bring you on and talk about the good and the bad of New York's most popular team, Mm. the Knicks. Very choice words out of you there about the Knicks and my uh, my pleasure to be here and talk about the Cavs and Knicks. But I don't know. I think I might shock you here, and I don't know if I'll be the typical Knicks fan. I'm so excited to watch this Cavs team. Uh, in reality, I think, and we're obviously going to talk about it at depth, I'm so excited. I think the fit for Cleveland is so much better than the Knicks. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a little upset about it that the Knicks didn't end up with D. Mitch. It felt like it was meant to be for so long. But we're here. We're out here. We got things to talk about, things to look forward to in Knicks land as well. So I'm pumped for basketball season. It just always hits me right in the face, Zach, when football season's in like week four and all of a sudden like the real NBA preview heavy stuff like starts trickling out. Like, wow, week four of NFL, week five of NFL, boom, NBA starts. Let's go. It's the best time of the year. Yeah, there's no question. The baseball playoffs just kind of tiptoe around like, yeah, we're going on too. But until you get to the end of October, that stays more quiet to the, the basketball football crowd. But so then I guess, uh, Pete, first thing I'll ask you, when you saw the news on September 1st, and I, I, I still can't believe what I saw when I saw the news as a Cavs fan, what went through your mind when you saw the tweet that the Cleveland Cavaliers were acquiring Donovan Mitchell and not the Knicks? It was a little weird because the Cavs were in and out of that rumor mill for a little bit there, right? It was like, oh, the Cavs are going to make a push on this thing. Then they were out. And then all of a sudden it ramped up and happened kind of like that, or at least from my perspective, that's kind of how it broke down. So when I opened my phone and saw that notification for the first time, I saw Donovan Mitchell. I had no idea what was coming next. I assumed it wasn't even going to be a trade. Then I see Cavs trades happening, bada bing, bada boom. Like, wow. All right. We're, we're really out here really doing this. Let's see what the package is. You know how it always takes a minute. Mm -hmm. You see that he's traded and then maybe five to 15 minutes later, you see the package. And as upset as I was, I couldn't get to a true point of disappointment because I knew the fit for Cleveland was really good. And I always had question marks about what was the true ceiling of Donovan Mitchell at the New York Knicks. There wasn't as much of an infrastructure. There's not as many good pieces around the Knicks that I was nervous. Donovan Mitchell would come here, score a lot of points. And I say here, I mean, into New York, Uh, he'd score a lot of points and it wouldn't mean enough to matter. And it would be ending up disappointing with Cleveland. There's a real chance to make some splashes. Uh, So it was really, really mixed emotions this month or two long of rumors and whatnot. And hoping we get them, hoping we don't get them, hoping we don't trade the, the farm. And then all of a sudden it's wiped away. And I almost was a little bit relieved that the Knicks didn't, you know, blow it up and throw out way too many picks and way too many pieces. So part of me was relieved. Part of me was disappointed. Part of me was pretty happy for the Cavaliers. Yeah. And that that day, you know, there have only been two moments, I guess three moments in my Cavs fandom where my phone just blew up 
because generally speaking, whether or not we've had LeBron all the time, I've been a fan. I, there's never been anything that happens with the Cavs that gets people that aren't Cavs fans talking to me about what's going on. It's rare. A lot of that action's happened on Twitter in the last three years since I uh, started up with Across the Cavs and the original Across the Board pod network. Now, of course, the Hoops pod network, as you are. And the first was the Le- LeBron news of 2014. I was away from my phone. I didn't have any service. I came back four hours after it happened to a Facebook barrage because that was mostly where it was. I didn't have any cell service at the time, and I couldn't believe it, but I wasn't shocked. The bigger news for me then, we go to 2018, December 7th, I was broadcasting a Hunter Baruch game, homecoming, great crowd. Game featured a 25-point second-half comeback from Hunter and them tying it with one second, probably one of my favorite games I've called as a broadcaster. But better yet, during the women's game, which happens a couple hours before, I see a tweet. Said something about Della Vadova coming back to Cleveland. That, for me, was the first time. Like, wait, what? Uh, that was the only time I've ever been called out for not paying attention during a broadcast in five or 600 some odd games over 10 years. Like, wow, I was shook. Now we get to now, 2022, and we had Donovan Mitchell. Four people from work, and there's really no Cavs fans. There's one There's one Cavs fan. I'm not working. You know, there's one Cavs fan. I got eight or nine text messages. I got Instagram DMs, tweets. I'm just like, wow, I didn't even know how to process it. And it was in the middle of the workday. Thankfully, I'd gotten out of all my meetings because I had a few in a row right before the trade. It, it was just crazy. And so that said, I was my first reaction was obviously, wow, we got done. And the second was, he's really not going to the Knicks. And, and I'll say this, Peter. <laughs> Uh, and for the Knicks, I, I do think it would have been a bad move for them. Like you think about some of the guys the Knicks have and where they're going. I personally think, and we can talk about this over the course of the pod. I do think there should be a coaching change of some kind at some point this season, if they don't start hot, but RJ Barrett proved last year, he can have big games. You know, Emmanuel quickly showed from his first year to his second handling more minutes. He can get hot. There aren't really that many bench microwave scores in the league. And I think he's one of the best ones for that. He's got endless range. It's just because he get enough minutes. Obi Toppin started to prove he can average double-digit points. If he gets more than just Julius's scrap minutes, he definitely deserves more. When Mitch is on the court, you have a serious rim protector, rim runner, and a guy that can dunk, just has to work on those free throws. And in picking up Jalen Brunson, I mean, you're finishing out a starting lineup. People have their questions about Fournier. I still think he's a fantastic shooter. Just drop his minutes and replace him with more Grimes and maybe Rose minutes this year. Brunson can give you 30 minutes. He's not going to blow the roof off. He never was. He just wanted a point guard that A, wanted to be there. B, he's got his father there. I think that's amazing. And C, he just, whenever Luca was out or they needed someone else to step up, he had some monster game in the playoffs. I think what you have, and I'm not, I'm not mentioning number 30 right now because I think he's part of the problem still even though he has his moments, I think what they, what they have around with Randall, besides Randall's other four guys, you have a great foundation and you don't have to sacrifice any of it to get one player who is great, but I always thought, and I'm happy with what the Cavs traded. I always thought what the jazz were asking for from the Knicks was way too high. It was a bit of a Knicks tax. It felt like right with Danny Ainge, especially being the Boston guy, kind of a little bit of a, swinging contest, if you will, between Leon Rose and Danny Ainge, you know, who was going to back down. And in that regard, 
I'm proud that Leon Rose didn't, you know, give in and give out all those picks and Grimes and Toppin and quickly, et cetera, et cetera. Cause I agree with what you just stated there. And that's why my initial reaction wasn't full disappointment. Cause I knew deep down as much as I wanted a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who I've wanted for a long time, loved him since the draft. Like I knew it wasn't the answer. A backcourt of Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson can create a lot of problems for a team defensively. And for as good as Mitchell Robinson could be as a rim protector, he ain't making up for all that lack of size and lack of defensive ability out of the backcourt. And in reality too, the guys you want around Mitchell is Quentin Grimes. It is Obi Toppin. It is Emmanuel quickly. And those guys would all be shipped out as well as the draft picks. And there's no depth on this team and there's not a true identity of defense. And that's not even considering the fact if RJ would have had to go in that trade, if RJ had to go in the trade, I was out. And it's not because RJ is a better player than Donovan Mitchell, but those two guys would need each other. No matter what, they would need each other to balance out that roster, balance out that lineup. Uh, so yeah, it's really, really interesting right now with the Knicks and what they're trying to accomplish um, to be a top six seed, a playoff team, not a play-in team. East is very good. They don't have a guy. And that's what Donovan Mitchell could have been offensively, a true dude who's out here averaging 25 points a game. Because we don't know if Brunson's that. He's probably not. We don't think Randall's that anymore. He had one year. And, and he could have been that guy. But there would have been so many other problems. I don't know if it would have fixed the whole ship. Um, so, yeah, it, it's very strange to think about. But I'm proud that Leon Rose didn't just give in and give Danny Ainge everything he asked for. It just would have it would have given that classic New York feel of winning the back page, winning a headline, and then fast forward six months, and this team's at 500, still a play-in team, not a playoff team. And we're saying, what's going on? Leon Rose, what are you doing? Oh, my God, we have no draft picks. We can't get better. We have no depth. And that would have been like my worst nightmare because now we have this guy who – we all loved in Donovan Mitchell, New York, uh, tri-state area guy, big Mets fan, the whole nine. And now he's getting booed because he's taking 28 shots a game because the offense ain't clicking. And, and that's the worst case scenario. So I'm happy we avoided that in a weird way. Uh, and still obviously looking forward to what they can do to build out this roster and hopefully actually seeing these young guys like Grimes top and quickly come to fruition under, under Tibbs. Because you mentioned Tibbs. That's the question mark. What does he do with those younger cats? Does he let them fly or does he ride Fournier into the ground? And, and we never truly know what we have. Yeah. Cause you don't have Alec Burks anymore. Who's graced both of our teams that I yes. really think, I do think he's an amazing pickup for Detroit. Who's going to be a sneaky play for the ten, nine or 10 spot, despite how crazy good the East might be. Love that. But I'm, I'm looking forward, you know, to watching the Knicks. Everything you said makes a lot of sense as well. And I think Fournier shouldn't play that much. I do like him a lot. I happened to see Brooklyn, Boston game one back. I saw game two this year. There was no Fournier this time. And I, have, I was lucky enough to see game one right after fans started getting re-permitted into games last year. And he did have a really solid performance in game one. I think it was Jalen that was out for that series. So he slid into the starting rotation. And so we'll see. They got a lot of good pieces. Definitely, try, definitely make sure D-Rose is in the rotation. So we'll probably see a lot of IQ with the two. But we'll see. My thoughts on the Knicks, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it today, is that they're going to push for a top 10, but I, I have no, there's no guarantees outside of Cleveland, Boston, Philly, Miami, Brooklyn, 
and I think that's five. The Wizards are going to push. Uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee's the one I forgot. I don't want to say anyone yeah. twice. Yeah, Milwaukee. So there's there's the probable top six. Top six. The Hawks have a top three backcourt now, but we're going to come right up. Oh, quick quick thought before we take an ad break, Pete. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad yeah. you brought up Derrick Rose. No, I, I was going to save it. I'm just getting I'm just getting worked up. I'm getting excited over here. Mm-hmm. I have thoughts about the Cavs. I have thoughts about the Hawks, the Knicks, the whole nine. So we'll we'll get to it. All right. So we'll be right back, folks. After after a word from Raycon. This is Zach Weiss, host of Across the Cavs. And lately, I've been listening to a lot of REM, Lincoln Park, and road tripping. And I've been loving it. Because I've been using my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge. Trust me. Raycons give you 8 hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. I've got noise isolation, which is fantastic. I don't want to hear all the sounds. I just want to hear what I want to hear. And Raycon allows me to do that, along with their three customizable sound profiles. I'm set. When I'm getting work done, when I'm walking down the street, I'm set. I'm listening to what I want to hear, and the background noise just fades. So go to buyraycon.com today and use code TBPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TBPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code TBPN15. All right, welcome back, folks. Pete Kennedy here from Subway Sports Talk, Zach Weiss. And Pete, let's talk about R.J. Barrett. I I think he deserves his own segment here. And so I'm curious to hear from you, and we've talked about their pieces, and I don't have the full quote. From what I, what I read, what I've seen, there's 30 teams media day. Hard to keep up with all 30 uh, in the same week. R.J. Barrett mentioned that the Knicks are going to, quote-unquote, shock the world this season. And now, I don't know how deep he got, how specific. My understanding is could be, he could be saying top five. He could be saying top three. He could be saying 50 wins. But you hear R.J. Barrett say shock the world. Is this Knicks team on paper? And, and in actuality, ready to do that, you think, from, from the get-go? No. <laughs> no. No, they are not ready to shock the world. Unless the world expects them to be a 12 seed, you know, then they can shock the world by making the 8 seed, perhaps, or the 7 seed push up. I think that would be really, really impressive and uh, a great success for the Knicks to end up in that 7-8 spot rather than a 9-10 of the play-in. I think pie in the sky, shock the world, is a five or six. That's what would be a shock the world situation here for the New York Knicks. I just personally don't see it happening. I was just on with a fellow network uh, partner of ours, Patrick Capino from the Oakland Warriors podcast. And we did Eastern conference rankings. I ranked the Knicks in that eight to 10 range because that's who I think they are as a roster. Now, speaking about RJ Barrett specifically, and to give you a little bit more of the, the entire quote, uh, he said basically that getting a taste of the playoffs uh, what it was like in the playoffs two years ago, and then falling short the year back, uh, the year after, is really what is motivating this team moving forward. And you think about it, it's a lot of the same guys. It's a lot of the same people who were on that team two years ago that made the four seed and then lost in the first round to the Atlanta Hawks. But that's the the difference. When he says shock the world, that's punchy media day BS that I'm not really going to put too much into. I mean, you think back about what, eight years ago now, and Derek Rose said that they were a super team with Porzingis and Mello and whatnot, <laughs> yeah. but that was a disaster. 
And now Derek Rose is my favorite Nick. And it's probably not even close. Like the way things change is so rapid. So he basically wanted to highlight that they got a taste of the playoffs. Then they fell short. And now they're truly hungry again to get back there. And I love that. I think if you talk about RJ Barrett, you are talking about the ideal person that you want to be a cornerstone of your franchise. I didn't say ideal player, by the way, Zach, because I think there are some things that are shortcomings in his game. And we'll get to that. But as a dude, as a leader, as an effort guy, he does everything and more that you can possibly ask for. Every single year, he comes back with something else added to his game. Every single year, he gets a little bit better of a shooter. Every single year, he gets a little bit better as a playmaker. Like all these things happen, and you have to love R.J. Barrett as a Knicks fan, even if you're a little disappointed with the efficiency numbers inside, which is still a problem with him finishing. He needs to get to the line more. Uh, even if you're still a little bit disappointed with the consistency of getting to 20 points a game where he's all of a sudden he's 28 for a week and then he's 14 for a week. You know, we got to balance that out. So he's not a perfect player, but he is absolutely the right person you want as a cornerstone piece of the franchise. He's just not the one. He's not a number one. He's probably not a one B either because we have that conversation a lot of times as well. Oh, he's not a one. He's a one B Chris Middleton. He's not quite that either. Right. So we need a dude to be the leading offensive threat. However, I can't picture anybody really that RJ Barrett wouldn't fit well with and wouldn't make better and wouldn't force to give max effort. So I love RJ Barrett wholeheartedly. I still have some pick nitpicks with his game, uh, with the efficiency and things of that nature, but every single year he's gotten better every single year. He adds something. And that is absolutely all you can ask for as a front office, a coach, a fan, anybody who covers this league or talks about this league, RJ Barrett, he's the guy you want around your team. 100%. Let's hope that some of the guys around him follow that motivation. And if he now in year uh, four now, right? Year four, year five, he can step into a leadership. Yeah. Year four, step into that leadership role. And he doesn't have to sit behind Julius Randall and defer to Randall and him and Brunson and whoever it may be become the leadership and the heartbeat of this team, that's what will help raise the floor here. Because their ceiling is is not that high. We know that. But where's their floor? That's the question mark. That's what R.J. Barrett can help raise. As of right now, the ceiling is the roof in a a (laughs) mid-rise apartment. You don't have too high. You take maybe two Jalen Brunson's tops is the ceiling, maybe a little lower than that. So about about 12 feet off the ground. Two Jalen Brunson's. <laughs> but, you know, I, I look at Brunson, uh, excuse me, at Barrett, and he improved his free throw shooting immediately from year one and into now. You know, he's improved his outside shooting, and he has his days. He's proved himself to be clutch. He's able to get those, those jams that electrify the crowd. You know, he doesn't need to be the number one option for them to win X number of games. I just think he needs to be part of a unit. Because I'll say this about the Knicks, and I I was an R.J. Barrett fantasy owner last year, so I watched him a little extra closely even. But, you know, I look at the Knicks, and every time I'm watching them, I just there's stretches where they're unstoppable, whether it's throwing lobs to Obi or quickly hitting three threes in a row, which happens more as much as any other player can do it in the league. You know, whether it's when Grimes is healthy and on the floor, when he's playing good deeds, getting his catch and shoot attempts, when it was Burks getting his threes, the pre-era, when it was Bullock, who they, they didn't fully replace. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was just pointing because oh. I agree with you. I didn't yeah. want to throw you off, but I, yeah. I, I agree with the Bullock yeah. point. It's a great point. Keep it's a great, they, they did not replace him, which is a big part of the issue. And he's 
pay dividends to the Mavs playing 45 minutes a game in the first two and a half rounds. Eventually in round three, they're like, yeah, we can't ride him that much. Let's try Frank. And another, another X name. But, you know, you, you, you look at it and they have the pieces. It's just, can it come together consistently? I, I, whatever it is that Tibbs has done, still don't think he deserved coach of the year. It was impressive. He got them where he did, but I still don't think he deserved that. And it's, it's not like, the Nick Nurse situation where he was ever in line to not, or rather Dwayne Case was ever in line to lose his position, but it's got to be considered now. I know he's early on. He loves basketball. It's clear. Thibodeau never got married, never really had relationships because of his love for the game. And I don't know any other coach that can say that for better or worse. I'd hope that no, the coach follows in those specific footsteps, just because you need, you need to have a little more. You can dedicate yourself to the game only so much because the game isn't there 12 months a year. The season's about eight. But anyway, that's I, I, I'm not the one running Tibbs' life. If he's happy coaching, let him be. But you need someone that can relate better. And Derek Rose is really, at this point, with Taj, I think, on the Wizards now, is the only holdover left from the whole Tibbs era. It was cool that they did bring D. Rose back, and he had a couple of other of his guys you know, backing him and everything. But I think you need a younger coach. They got all the pieces right now, other than the power forward spot. I think that's the one you need to figure out. If it's not working, you have to figure out a way to move Randall. I know they loved him two years ago and it was cool. And the players tribune had some pieces out about him and it was cool seeing him playing with his son, his son emulating his moves in the house, his wife, a big part of the Knicks community as well. Yeah. I don't see too, too many across the NBA where you have significant others kind of immersed in the Twitter sphere of their team, but it, there's a lot more to it than that. You need to win. And I think if Randall, well, I guess we'll finish this point on Randall here, Pete, if Randall can't be part of that, you got to find a way to cut your ties, whether that's giving minutes to OB or someone else, that position that start, those 35 minutes are not the best 35 minutes. The next play every game. Yeah. It's really weird with Julius Randall. I mean, what a magical year two years ago. And then all of a sudden just not being relevant at all last year, or I shouldn't even say relevant because he was relevant as a, negative player and you know it's not like he was irrelevant he was very relevant just in a negative fashion right and he mentioned in the same media day that rj barrett made his shock the world comments that he's learned a lot he said you know i thought i was a leader two years ago when i was playing the best basketball of my life and we made the playoffs and we were a four seed he's like and then last year i wasn't playing well we weren't playing well and he's like i realized looking back on last season that i wasn't a leader that I was a leader when things were going well and not when it was going poorly. And that's like a sign of maturity that if you look back to that season last year, you wouldn't have expected to come out of Julius Randall because it was a lot of negativity. It was a lot of him bickering with fans, his wife dealing with uh, Knicks fans and New Yorkers, you know, yelling at her, getting on her on, her on Twitter saying, "Yo, your husband sucks. He's not doing his job, this and that, which is something I don't condone. And I hate that that happens mm-hmm. here in New York and across other markets. Let's not get it twisted. But you know, him coming out and saying that, oh, I was a leader when it was good and I was a bad leader when it was bad is a step in the right direction. It's it's one of those weird things. It's like, if you think about 2K, right? Mm-hmm. Like Julius Randle is whatever, I don't know, an 83 rating, something like yep. that, in that range. He's way better than uh, Obi Toppin overall. However, if he's not fitting the mold, if he's not shooting well, if he's taking too many shots, he's stopping the ball, all of a sudden, those skill points that he has that make him a better player than, you know, your replacement level power forward become a negative. And it doesn't matter that he's more talented. And that's what happened last year. He was forcing 
and it just never clicked right. And it sounds really weird, Zach, but the Derek Rose piece of this is insanely important. And that's, that's not a good thing. I love Derek Rose. He's one of my favorite Knicks in the last 10 years, which is crazy to say, because he has a half of a season of success. But when he was cooking off the bench for that team, that's when they were at their peak. That's when they were actually special and they made the run to that four seed. And you just can't rely on him. You can't say, oh, if we have Derek Rose, we'll be fine. Because odds are he's going to miss 25 games. Odds are he might miss more than that. And that's where I'm super torn right now about this roster. I like pieces. I think it's good that they have Grimes and quickly now to fill some of those holes. Uh, but Toppin has to show something. He showed some signs of life late last year. And I just don't want to see him playing nine, 14 minutes a game, never finding a rhythm. And all of a sudden he has no trade value. He's not successful on the court. Randall's playing average or below average basketball. And then all of a sudden we're stuck and none of our guys have trade value outside of Grimes, who's a guy I desperately want to keep because I think he fits perfectly in any lineup across the league. That's the type of guy Grimes is. So, you know, with the Barrett stuff, Grimes stuff, that's all fine and dandy. It's the point guard minutes behind Brunson and it's that power forward, those power forward, small forward minutes that have to be successful because every team in the league that is good, that is really good right now, possibly outside of you guys has one of those wings that does something really special, right? Okoro is a great defender, but he's not a special player yet. Not Your yet. specialness. Yeah. The Cavs specialness is in the guard position with Garland and, and Mitchell, obviously. And then Mobley and Jared Allen being defensive anchors, Mobley being a super cerebral player. We're going to get to the Cavs. I'm sure. But the, the Knicks lack that wing dominance. It, it, RJ Barrett's like kind of a guard wing combo. That's where they lack. And you can't rely on Derrick Rose and Julius Randle playing like he did two years ago to dig you out of those holes. Yeah. And on Randle, I appreciate the fact that he's owning up to it. You know, we'll see what actually happens when the game starts. Cause it is very easy to have an off season of disappointment, time away from the game of private training and your social training, whatever, 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 not, not social training where he's posting his videos, kind of like we see the work, the, the player workouts, but then it's very easy to, for, to remember the last time he was on the court, what he was doing. It's very easy to slip back into old habits, regardless of what you say now. So the true colors of Randall, I think, show when they get their first hardship, whether it's their first loss, their third loss in a row, or they blow a lead, which unfortunately happened a few too many times for them last year, because they'll go through one cold stretch. They'll get outscored 10-0 in a minute of a game where they're up by eight the whole time. They'll lose by one. You know, and on, on D-Rose, that stinks. You know, I, I wish... They, they could have that where they could rely on him. I remember his 50-point night in Minnesota and his block on our future homie, Dante Exum, to seal the, the win after he scored 50. You know, I, I remember when no one picked him up, and I remember him how emotional it was after that game because of that. You know, he's been good on a lot of teams. I wish it could have worked in Cleveland, how sick that could have been if we held oh, on, man. if he wanted to be there. He went MIA, but he had his own personal stuff. That also happened in Chicago, but you deal with personal stuff as you do. You just have to let someone know no matter and, what. And he wasn't physically right yet in Cleveland. Like he yeah. was still having those lingering injuries and he still wasn't back to the, well, I shouldn't say back to, he hasn't, he did at that point, he didn't become the new version of Derrick Rose yet. The new version of Derrick Rose is below the rim, still has the quick explosion, not the vertical explosion, right? So he still gets to the rim has all the ways to finish with the right and the left with the spin off the glass. Beautiful to watch. 
that it was so unfortunate in Cleveland that didn't ever come to fruition. Um, because if it was the, the Derek Rose that we saw with the Knicks second half of two years ago with Cleveland, I mean, God damn, they could have had a chance to do something special there um, that year that Kyrie was gone. So I, I agree with you. Um, and and I, I love watching him. His three has gotten better. His passing has gotten better. He's become that veteran presence that I don't think anybody really expected him to co- become with all that off the court stuff. Cause when somebody goes through all of that and seems aloof, seems detached from a team, you don't expect them to all of a sudden turn around and become the rock of a franchise. And that's who he is. Now all the young guys admire Derek Rose, all the young guys see his effort, see what he does to become the player that he is. And, and it means something you can't take that for granted. And I think that's kind of like what Kevin love became for the Cavs last year. You know, two years ago, you're saying, Oh my God, Kevin love, do we got to trade this guy? Like he's not, he doesn't want to be here. He's throwing the ball out of bounds. He's pissed off at all his teammates because the team's not very good. And then all of a sudden, fast forward, he jumped into that bench role and became so valuable and such a leader, leader, uh, leading presence for them. And he said, okay, Mobley's the guy, Jared Allen's the guy. I'm going to come off the bench, bang some threes, get some rebounds and be the leader that I actually can be and not some salty person who thinks my team stinks and I should be doing more. Yeah. And it's, it, it was great watching him. And I'll close this part out before we take our, our second break. Quentin Grimes is a terrific Nick, and I'm very excited to watch him this year. And it's my true introduction to him was back in my earlier days of 2K22. I'm in my seventh year of my association. I've won six titles on Hall of Fame. Not even a brag. It's just, it's, it's so much fun. 2K is great. The reason I, I bring this up is because in the very first finals, the very first Western Conference finals, I'm, I'm the Timberwolves in a draft. The, the Suns' starting lineup was Ben Simmons at point, LeBron at small, Draymond at the four, and Rob Williams at center. That's a defensive, insane lineup. Oh and the God. shooting guard, who was the third string, because the other two guys that they had, were it was DiVincenzo and someone else, like an 84, were out. So Grimes stepped into that role for them in that. And I knew he was good coming to the Knicks, but I hadn't really seen many highlights. So every time they get on the ball, I'd want to double LeBron or Simmons. I don't want to give anything double as soon as they got in the paint. Grimes would make every three. Then he got on the court in the winter this season. And what did he do? And just like in the game, which I learned a little later than a lot of other people, he bangs every three. Because there's only so many names you could know coming into the league. And you really only do your homework on your own team's new guys. But as we go to break number two, just want to say that he is fantastic. I'm excited to watch him. And I think that Derek Rose is going to be pushing him in practice. I think they're going to have some shooting contests. I know I, Rose is kind of like the Della Vadova here. Where he's never been a great three-point shooter. Rose probably a little better. Delhi shot horrible percentages his last couple seasons with the Cavs. But he's going to push everyone to be better, and he's going to work on his game so to show that you're, it's never too late to get better. And obviously, Grimes going into his second season. It's kind of more for Rose that he can become a sniper. But we will be right back. And finish up on the Knicks, head over to the Cavs, and say goodnight. So, folks, stay tuned. More after this. Welcome back, folks. Pete Kennedy of the Subway Sports Talk podcast. Zach White's with you. And some stats, Pete, you said you had. We'll talk a little Grimes, Barrett, and Rose. Kind of wrap up the Knicks portion of today's episode. Yeah, so real quick on Derek Rose first. So he shot, since he's been a New York Knick, he has been a 40% three-point shooter and it's not like he's taking one per game he took uh three and a half per game last year 40 percent uh two and a half per game two years ago at 41 percent 
something that we never expected from Derrick Rose before. And I don't know if we need to expect it again, but he's so good at picking his spot, shooting the ball. And it's really big for him later in his career, helps him get off the dribble. Um, and two years ago, he played 35 games for the Knicks, 24 wins, 24 and 11 as a Nick two years ago. Last year, he only played 26 games. He was banged up. The impact wasn't quite as there and the team wasn't as good, uh, but it was undoubtable how impactful he was um, two years ago. On the Quentin Grimes front, 38% as a rookie. I expect that to be 40. I really do look at Quentin Grimes as a 40% three-point shooter. And I think that four three-point attempts per game is going to be somewhere like six or seven this year. And it's not a fluke. He, this guy can shoot. And he flashed in summer league that he could put the ball on the ground a little bit and he can do something off the dribble, uh, you know, take a couple dribbles and, and take the mid-range jump shot, get to the rim a little bit. So I'm really excited for Quentin Grimes. I hope that we can get to a point where he becomes the starter and Fournier becomes the bench guy. It's really hard for a guy like Tibbs to pull that trigger and take a veteran like Fournier, who's a proven scorer in this league, and move him to the bench. But I think everybody could agree that Fournier off the bench could be so much more valuable than Grimes off the bench because Grimes is a better defender. He's a more consistent shooter, even if he's not as good as at the tough shots. Like Fournier could make tougher shots, and I think that's why him playing in the second unit, like if Rose and Fournier all of a sudden are, are that lead unit behind Brunson and Grimes and Barrett, that becomes really dangerous because then Fournier is playing against lesser competition, getting better shots. So I don't think Grimes shooting is a fluke at all. In fact, I think it's going to get better. We'll absolutely love him. RJ Barrett is the question mark as a shooter. So he went 30. Um, I'm sorry. I had it here for a second. Yeah. He was a uh, 32% as a rookie, not very good. 40% as a sophomore in his second year in the league. And then last year kind of came back to that middle ground, 34%. He had a really bad month and then a really good month. I think there's some more consistency there. I, I expect him to be like a 36% guy all in all though, for the Knicks. And it stinks that wondering what your kids do online. Relax. The new Kaspersky. Sorry about that. My computer started. No worries. Playing something there. I don't know what that was. Some extra, extra ads. Um, anyways, um, the Knicks, came down to this one thing a couple of years ago. And it's really, it's tough to just put it on that. But two years ago as a team, they shot 39% from three. And last year they shot 35% from three. You don't want to chalk up an entire team season to just one stat. But in that regard, it really makes a lot of sense. And the regression was obviously going to come also with the opponent's three-point percentage. Two years ago, opponents were missing wide-open threes. Opponents were not shooting good against the Knicks. Last year, they shot much better. This year might be the year where they find that middle and they shoot a little better. Their opponents shoot a little bit more normal, and that can be their differentia uh, differentiation in being the 10th seed versus you know fighting up for that 7-8 spot. Maybe, maybe a 6 seed. That's pretty unlikely, but I think 7-8 and eight is a reasonable point to reach for. Yeah, you know, no doubt you got to have the guys that have proven that they can be better, be better. You know, it's on paper. Every team can come in if their guys play the best and win 45 games. Now, it's never that simple because some teams have more star power. Some teams have a more favorable schedule. Everyone plays the same team the same number of times as the 14 others in their conference. Or rather, the four, the four in their division and pretty much the same as the conference, give or take one extra game but it's when you get hot it's when guys are healthy and you can never pinpoint everything because if, if that was the case and i look at the orlando magic just quick throw into the orlando magic i can see them winning 
being a 500 team or better, but there's 0% chance it happens because Markel Fultz is already out. Jonathan Isaac is never going to play again, it seems like. But what's the Fultz update? He's out for the season? Not out for the season, but he fractured a big toe, so he's going to miss oh. the start of the season. And oh. I know they already have Hampton and Anthony and Suggs, but you need to know who's healthy to figure out a real rotation because their biggest issue is going to be too many guys like Carter and Bob were both great. Now they're throwing in Boncaro. Wagner has been playing well, but he also re-signed Gary Harris, who's actually also out to start the season. Who And you still have Terrence Ross. You can't be getting DNP CDs. And they have Mo Wagner. Franz's brother was actually a beast when he played. We're not going to get sidetracked by the Orlando Magic here. But I will say that they're just one of those teams like the Pistons, who just picked up Jaden Ivey and a guy who will play later in the season, Jalen Duran to go with good pieces they have, you know, in Cade and Bay and Bagley's going to surprise people, I think in his new home and Isaiah Stewart, you know, um, Alec Burks is there now. New Orleans Noel is a great veteran center to have around. Yeah. You know, the Hawks just picked up DeJounte without having to trade any core pieces. I mean, there's just, we're not going to get sidetracked again, but that's just kind of how the NBA can be right. The Cavs were supposed to, B, I don't know what they were projected last year. And I know overall, I still think it was underwhelming at the end, but it was still an impressive season. You know, like the Knicks weren't supposed to be the four seed and there they were, you know, the Hawks were never supposed to go 60 and 22 with that starting lineup, but it happened and they won starting lineup of the month. <laughs> so the Knicks could just be this year, one of those teams again. Now I don't think it's going to happen, but that's, that's the game that we're watching 82 games. It's about getting hot and proving people wrong. Yeah, and quickly, I just want to make sure I'm on the island for your listeners. I am a Cade Cunningham stan. I think he is fantastic. And people talk about Mobley and Cade, obviously, being from that same draft. I don't think I could ever take Mobley ahead of Cade, even though I am not trying to slight Mobley at all. What he does is off the charts. But what Cade Cunningham brings to a team is what every single team wants in this league. It's an oversized point guard who's really, he's a three who is a point guard, right? That's what Cade Cunningham is. That's what Luka Doncic is. I think Cade can be that guy. He got off to this weird start, missing a couple games early last year. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, is Cade going to be a bust? Oh, fast forward one month. He is not a bust. He is a dude. I think the Pistons are going to be very, very sneaky this year. I think they're still behind the Knicks just a little bit based off roster construction. Uh, but also I want to put myself on Palo Bancaro Island. I'm a Palo fan as well. When I saw him walk onto the court in summer league, blown away with this dude's size. He is huge. Zach, he, he looks like a center out there, moves like a wing, and he's incredible. I hope that the Magic stay healthy around him because I think he can be a really impactful player as a rookie. They're not going to make any real noise this year, but they're going to be a fun watch. They're going to be a, a league pass team. And if Markel Fultz can get healthy, I like what they what they have over there in Orlando, but they're, they're still a year or two away from being anything serious. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Definite shout out to Cade, a guy who I'm very excited to watch in year two. I, I probably would have done the same for my draft. Think about the Pistons and their point guards over the years. They've long needed someone who can come in and be an assertive leader at that position. And you probably really have to go back to Chauncey Chauncey's first 10. And then they had a year of AI and then a, a whole lot of movement. Brandon Jennings couldn't stay healthy when he was there. And then when they finally made the playoffs, I think it was Reggie Jackson, who I do like a lot, but he's not what you want if you're trying to contend for a title with the pieces they had. So yeah, absolute shout out to Cade. And so we'll talk a little Cavs here. 
uh, Pete. And so we look at them right now. And so here's my question for you, actually, because we've got a, we've got six possibilities for this position. They just re-signed one of them. One of them, two of them are going to be free agents soon. Another one has to prove he belongs. Who should start at small forward for the Cavs from, from your point of view and what you know about the Cavs? Between Osman and Wade and Levert, Stevens, Okoro, Wingler, all these guys are candidates. I don't know if that's ever happened before where you have potentially, I mean, they're not going to consider all six, but you get, they, they can. I think ideally it has to be Isaac Okoro. I mean, if you look at what this roster looks like, you know, you wish he can shoot a little bit more, but he does all of the other things and you don't need him to score. With Garland and Mitchell, I mean, that's probably going to be close to 50 points a game right there. I love Garland. I'm a huge Garland guy. I, I think he's probably just as good as Donovan Mitchell, if not a little bit better because of the playmaking that he has in his back pocket. Okoro then leads that defense and takes the biggest uh, opponent. That That's the most important thing. You don't want Garland and Mitchell running around guarding the best player on the other team. And Okoro has what it takes uh, to defend one, two, three, and even probably some fours, but you don't need them to guard fours because you have Mobley, you have Allen to do all the dirty work down low. Okoro is the perfect fifth starter from, from, uh, from this perspective. And I know his rookie year was a little bit of a mixed bag. Obviously he looked better when all things were going well before Rubio got hurt. And then Mobley obviously got banged up towards the end there and everything went a little bit downhill. You have to give him another full leash of starting here and a full leash of making some mistakes here and there, but then becoming that lockdown defender, you know, a little bit of rim running, a little bit of fast break stuff. Hopefully he can get figured out. He is the best candidate. You know, I'm not a huge Levert fan. We'll talk about him in a minute. Mm -hmm. And then like Chetty Osmond and Dylan Windler, like those are good players. But to me, what they bring to a lineup is, is shooting. Uh, Osmond's obviously a little bit more well-rounded than, than yeah. Windler perhaps, uh, but it's shooting, it's slashing, and, and you think about their skills, it's offensive. This team is not going to need offense in that starting lineup. They're going to need offense in the backup, uh, in, the, in the secondary rotation there. And you think about Karis LeVert, I, I'm, I'm always torn on him. Back when he was with Brooklyn, I was super pro Karis LeVert because I, I knew what he was able to do, uh, putting buckets up. And then he got hurt. D'Angelo Russell took over. They had their little magical run before getting KD and Kyrie. And, and that was cool to watch, even though LeVert had that really tough injury. He's a little bit too much of a me guy offensively. And that frustrates me. That's why he can't be in that starting lineup with Mitchell and Garland because you can't have two guys who need the ball and then Karis LeVert who thinks, no, I'm the best scorer in this lineup. Like that's Davis 2.0. Exactly. Like that's not going to fly for me. So you put him in the backups with uh, Kevin Love and Windler and Osman and force him to be a little bit more of a creator. And then if he doesn't even fit that creator role, you got Neto to be kind of that de facto point guard and you let LeVert cook when he gets the ball and hopefully he can give you 15 points a night off the bench. Uh, but there's no way I think Levert should be the starter here. I think it has to be a Coro. That's what helps the Cavs reach their full potential and compete with all these teams. You think about Boston, you know, you don't want Mitchell guarding Jalen Brown or, or Jason Tatum super frequently. Now I probably have to guard Jalen Brown and that's okay. He can hang with him, especially if he locks in like we know he can, he just hasn't in the past two years. A has got to guard Tatum, right? A has got to guard Chris Middleton. That's what has to happen here. And you're not going to expect that from, from Levert. You can probably get it from Osmond a little bit, but I think the best option by far 
has to be a Coro. He has to have that leash in his second year to, uh, to get better and figure that spot out. And Osmond's first start for the Cavs in his second season post-LeBron. So it was the first year post-LeBron, his second year, they were playing the Kawhi Raptors. So he, right away, he was, I think he had 20 that night. It was a good start. And he's been a good calf through and through. He's nowhere near Jersey retirement conversation at all. Not in the Delhi range yet. No. <laughs> they got to retire two Delhi jerseys, eight and 18. <laughs> but actually nine. He did wear nine before Luol Dang came and snatched it. And then he switched to eight. And I had my Delhi number nine jersey show up in the mail. Then we sent it back so I can get the number eight, his rookie season. Second, was this rookie season. Anyway, though. Quick, quick mention of the Raptors, who I forgot we mentioned our top six. They'll be in that conversation as well. They've only got better, and they got they got the great Bo Cruz, who we wouldn't have known about at this time last year from Adam Sandler's Hustle, Juan Hernan Gomez, among a couple other additions. So I am very excited to watch them play. So not to just discredit them and the other six. I do have a little salt at Scotty Barnes winning Rookie of the Year completely undeservedly. I would have rather given oh, it to Cade. I'd give it oh. to Cade over Scotty Barnes. That's for another time. I just I still remember his layup performance during Rising Stars weekend, and I just he made Tyrese Maxey bad. That's how bad he was. He made Tyrese Maxey, who was the top five shooter in the world for a month there in the second half, look like Ante Zizic or anybody after they got dunked on by Shaq trying to come back to life. So yikes, yikes, yikes. But. You know, on the note of the small forward spot, it probably should be a Coro. And if anything, Colin going down saved the Coro's future as a Cavs starter because he was going to be coming off the bench at that point. I believe, I, I think they had Tower City with, with Sexland going there. So now marketing has gone. That opens up this one. And that, that could give it to him. Obviously, Mitchell comes into the two spot now, but he had been coming off the bench for the first. I think it was only two games. Garland got hurt very, very early in the season. And then there were a few other guys that went down early, which allowed him to start. I, I haven't checked the numbers in the while, see how many times he actually came off the bench. But it's either it should be him or Dean Wade. If you need defense, Wade also provides that. Not at the level of Isaac, but he's consistent. He's longer at 6'9". He fits into the three. He's played it the last couple of years. And when he is on the court, he's a great floor spacer. We'll see. I'm very happy about his extension. You know, he's not the first. Obviously, shout out Della Vadova. Cavs uh, undrafted player to sign with the team. Although Della got his big contract with the Bucks, I was sad but happy to see him get the money just from someone else when it happened. But he's the second undrafted success story in the last 10 years, which is truly incredible from one team. You know, we're, we've never been known for that per se in our history. So really awesome. You know, we'll end it. We'll see. I'm always as a fan, and this is my least favorite quality of, in myself as a fan, is I hate seeing guys I like get DNP CDs at any level. Like it, it stresses me out. I'm not the coach. I don't make the decision. Phil Mungler's probably going to play a few minutes a game, if that, and only in blah. That, that, that makes me sad and stressed. You know, I, I see Osmond, who's been a fixture. He was, he has gotten some DNP CDs, but you got Stevens, who's been so good. He has a game winner to his name. He has double doubles to his name. And, and, and he's a 6'6 six, six wing. He's had some incredible performances on the defensive end. He might not even be in the rotation. You know, I look at Dean Wade, who before he became a starter, when guys are out, he came in out of nowhere as a rookie. They went 4-0 in his four starts in a row when they had been ice, ice cold. You know, he only lost when TJ McConnell stole the ball from every player, their wives. He stole the rattles from their kids and, and the crowd, little babies on the bench. He stole from everybody that night. But Dean Wade was good on the court even, even that night. 
had had to get that one in there. And so it's it's hard for me, you know. Even Neto, Neto's not my favorite by any means, but I like watching him shoot the ball. I liked how he had a chance with the Wizards last year when they brought him back for the whole season. When they traded away Dinwiddie, he got the start. He played well. I I hate Robin Lopez's hook shot is top three all time, low key. <laughs> Love Robin Lopez. Yeah, you got him for a year. He started all eighty two games. Can I can I comment on that real quick? Because as a Knicks fan, I feel that in the in the making of my being. There's always a Nick. You can ask any Knicks fan that there's a guy on the bench who you think has something in him, right? A couple of years ago, the funniest one ever to me, me and my friend Alec, who does the pod with me a bunch of times, we talk about it all the time. Remember Mindaugas Kuzminskis? Oh, he was a legend. The, the, the lava lamp. Yeah, exactly. So like, he's a legend. He wasn't, he wasn't good, right? Like in my head, oh, this guy's a knockdown shooter. He just needs some time. Like let's give Mindaugas Kuzminskis some, <laughs> some minutes here, right? And that's just the funny one. Frank Nilakina will always have a special place in my heart. I know that he's an NBA player, and I was so happy to watch him with Dallas carve out a role in the playoffs and actually play super meaningful minutes for them. Every time he shoots and hits a three, I jump off my couch. But that's not good, right? Like, that's our fan taking over our actual analytical brain here, right? And it's easy for me to sit here and hear you say it and say, nah, listen, man. You know, Windler's Windler's a nice little player. He's not going to change your outcomes very frequently, right? Mm-hmm. Wade, I actually, I agree with you. He's a guy who can and will be in this rotation. And he might be the more useful player than a Coro, but it might be more useful off the bench, right? So it's easy for me to sit here and say, yo, man, it's okay. I know it's tough. I feel you, but that's a good problem to have. And the Cavs have that good type of problem right now. And as much as it pains you to watch Lamar Stevens not get consistent burn, it's probably for the better because the players that are going to earn the minutes are going to show true. And that's something that you can, as a, as a normal franchise over there, you can actually rely on that. Your coach is going to make that right decision with Tom Thibodeau. You don't know that he's going to make that right decision and say, Oh, here's the Evan Fournier bandaid, rip it off and put in Grimes. Like that probably won't happen even if it's supposed to. You could probably be confident that if a Coro is shooting 31% from three and being average on defense, that Dean Wade will get that chance to start, right? And I think that's a good problem to have. I think that's why you have to go in with a Coro over everybody and then see what happens, see who earns the spot. Because um, it's so easy to get frustrated off those guys who you, you see, you know, they score six points in, in eight minutes and you're like, yo, just get this guy some more minutes. Most franchises, you can feel comfortable saying there's a reason they're not getting more minutes. I don't know if I could always say that with Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks, but from from my perspective, watching the Cavs last year a decent bit, and because I wanted to see Garland, I'm a big Garland fan, um, I I feel comfortable saying that they're going to make the right maneuvers as the season goes on because they have a good problem on their hands with a multitude of options at wing. And and let's be honest, one person is probably going to get hurt at some point, right? One of those wings is going to get hurt and that's where your depth becomes huge. And that depth last year didn't quite exist. And that's why that amazing start still landed you guys in the playing games because the depth wasn't there. Now the depth is serious. Now, you know, outside of not having Rubio, cause that's a blow. He was awesome for you guys last year. The depth is, is serious for the Cavs and uh, there, there's no reason to be too frustrated yet with yeah. the minutes and with the decisions because you have to see how it shakes out. And I do think I, I've seen rumors he's out for the season. I think he'll play at some point. 
probably on the later part of the year. And I'll, I guess I'll close out our conversation about favorites with this. I, I made three baskets my entire first season of rec basketball. And I'm someone when I step on the court, all I want to do is shoot jump shots. I played pickup before we recorded tonight. I played a couple of games of threes. I shot maybe 14 threes. I made five. But I was so happy to just, just get my shots up. Obviously, this was a long time ago. We're talking when I was 11. We're going way back in the time <laughs> machine, early years of Cavs fandom. But I'll say this. We were playing Alabama. It was a college-related teams in the playoffs. I had made a layup and a jumper in the same quarter, my first point of the season, albeit my dad was the coach, <laughs> but I got, that was, so the rules were you had nine kids, three kids could play three, two kids could play three quarters. I was not one of them my first season. I knew I didn't, hadn't earned it at all. And I didn't get in like what it is, but I made two shots. I'm thinking my stock is soaring right now. Back-to-back <laughs> buckets. They're seeing me put the ball in. I guess it's, it's kind of the same thing on a more professional level here where, you know what they got, but they just might not be able to do it with the best at the best level. And it is what it is. I'll be happy no matter who gets minutes. I'll be happy just to get to some games this year. I'll definitely get to see the Cavs at MSG in December. Definitely going to get to Ohio this year. I'll have to get one of the two Brooklyn games. which are being held a Tuesday and a Thursday back-to-back back in the same week. So that will be pretty cool to see. So this will be our final topic of the day. We'll make it a, we'll make it a quick one here. Pete, as we, we both, we, we hit the 11 o'clock hour. We'll call it the witching hour in football. They'll call this the quietest hour in the NBA because even the 9 o'clock games aren't in crunch time at 11 p.m. <laughs> but Eastern, I should, I should add. There are rumors of the Cavs going after Jay Crowder. To me, I would just let it sit if you really – if the only reason to get him would be to dump some of the forwards you have now and maybe a pick just to bring another vet. But – he clearly wants to play big minutes. If you're the Cavs, do you touch this or do you let someone else deal with Jay Crowder? He's been here once. It didn't work out, but I don't think that has any play on what would happen a second time. because It's a completely different roster and culture now. I think you let it sit. I think you wait and see what you have because you have all these options at that three spot that you have to give them their due diligence, right? And Jay Crowder is not, to me, such a surefire upgrade over the collective of those wings you have in Cleveland right now. So I think you let it sit and you stay ready throughout the, uh, the first half of the season before the trade deadline to get a Jay Crowder down the road, right? You don't know which team is going to fall out. That's going to all of a sudden have a piece to trade you. Right. So I, I think if you go Jay Crowder off the rip, you can feel a little bit better that your, your starting lineup is going to be shirt up off the jump here, but is he really going to move the needle in any direction for you? He's a solid player. He's a tough player. He can get hot and be a microwave from three. We know all these things about Jay Crowder, but you know, there is something to say about how it was handled with him in Phoenix, right? Like in being in such a situation in Phoenix where they're a true title contender and he fits seemingly into that role so well, and he doesn't seem happy. You know, that's something that I don't want to deal with. If I'm the Cleveland Cavaliers, you got guys who need shots. You need to get Mobley more shots this year. I want to see what he can do as an offensive weapon. And you add Jay Crowder to the mix. That's, you know, six to 10 more shots a game that are getting taken out of the hands of Evan Mobley and Garland and Mitchell and Wade and et cetera. So I think you sit tight and you wait and you stay ready on the trade front to, to try to make that upgrade if you have to. And maybe, you know, best case scenario is, is that a Coro becomes the defender all Cavs fans hope he can be, and you don't need to make that trade and you're sitting pretty, right? So you, you got to set tight. The idea of that solid 
veteran three and D wing is great, but he's getting older. He has a lot of wear and tear on that body. I'm not convinced he's a needle mover. I think he's a solidifier and he fits into a lot of rotations, but you have options here and you got to play those out. You got to see what you have here before you make a brash decision. You made the big move with Mitchell. I think you got to see what that looks like. And if all of a sudden the wing positions coming up short across the board, then you make that move because we know if it's not Jay Crowder, there will be some sort of wing available for the Cavs to go get. And they didn't give up the house for Mitchell. They have other assets to move uh, to get somebody. And it could be another marginal guy. It could be somebody a little bit worse than Jay Crowder. But to me, that's A-OK because you don't need somebody who's expecting X amount of shots when you need to make it an emphasis point to get Mobley more touches because this guy can do so much. And we've only scratched the surface of his offensive game. The passing is there. The the uh, comfortableness outside the key and in near the paint is there. He has touch. Let's see him do something. I want to see more balls push through Evan Mobley. And, and you know what? You got to shout out Kevin Love here too. You know, Kevin Love is almost like a, he's not really a D guy, but he's a three and rebound guy, if you will. So he fits that Jay Crowder role kind of as well, right? If you need to all of a sudden start Kevin Love for two weeks because Mobley or Allen go down with a minor injury, you're going to feel great about that. All of a sudden you have Jay Crowder in there. Now he wants more shots. It's just something that I'm not signing up for, especially not to start the season off. Wait, hang tight and see what happens. Yeah, I'm with that 100. percent I don't think I have anything else to add. You know, let's let's let let's let the Cavs be the Cavs. You don't need to bring them in. You got what you need, and I think when the season starts, whether we're 0 and 2 or 2 and 0, it's going to be amazing to say that we have Donovan Mitchell, we have a good locker room, and we've got a fan base as excited as the team is to actually be playing these games. And so, with that note. Pete, want to say it's been an absolute pleasure dicing it up with you on this Wednesday evening as October is close. Preseason is oh so close and training camp is just a couple of days away. Yeah, man. Super exciting. It's like my head is spinning right now here with my podcast, Subway Sports Talk. You know, it's not just a basketball podcast. I talk football, baseball and basketball. Now, I keep it pretty local with baseball. It's pretty hard to talk national baseball. You know, no one wants mm-hmm. to eat outside the Mets and Yankees, but playoff uh series coming up here for the Mets and Yankees Mets big win tonight um, football obviously around the NFL everyone cares about that and I'm starting to now lock in on basketball I saw I opened the ESPN app the other day and on like the top scores uh, that show up on the home screen the Knicks on TNT on October 4th showed up I'm like what the hell is that like we're talking preseason games right now they're popping up on tnt like all right let's go i'm ready baby it's not like my uh my life has been hectic enough with sports trying to watch the mets and every single football game let's mix in some Knicks preseason i'll be locked into that and i'm hyped to get my league pass back up and running because there's so many damn back that i cannot wait to watch in the eastern conference western conference all across the board and my one suggestion for you when you rename your podcast next year, call it Jericho to Jericho. Jericho Sims times Jericho Cotri, if you want to keep it local. Ooh, I like that. That's that's cool. Jericho Sims, bro. How about him? He's, I like him. He is huge, and he jumps through the damn roof. God damn. And he has the fro like Jared Allen. Keep it in exactly. the family. Exactly. So do that. But he's Peter Kennedy. I am Zach Weiss. If you liked what you heard, head to Apple, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop a review, drop rating. We will see you next time. If you like what you heard from Peter Kennedy, which you obviously did, 
type in the Subway Sports Talk. Type in Subway Sports Talk on Apple, Spotify, you name it. So we will see you next time back next Wednesday with the earlier mentioned Patrick Apino of the Oakland Warriors podcast. And until then, we'll catch you. Adios. Sayonara. Au revoir. Actually, a bientôt. I will not see you tomorrow.